Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to speak to you a message again. We're in the series on the blood, and I've just entitled this, Not Without Blood. Hebrews 9, verse 7 says, But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. Now, the the temple of that time was divided, divided into three parts. There was the general part, there was the holy part, and then there was the holy of holies. In that holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, if you've ever read the entire Bible, and, and I, you, you, you should, you definitely should, there, there is a part in the book of Exodus where Moses goes up on a mountain and God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And he says, this is how you build it and make it exactly the way I tell you. Now, the reason for that, you don't know until you get into the New Testament because the Bible's progressive revelation. The farther you go, the more you learn about everything. But in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Moses' tabernacle was a copy of a tabernacle that God has in heaven. So he said, make it exactly the way that I tell you. So if you're reading your whole Bible and you get to this, there's there's several chapters. And it says, you know, now, now, now make the poles so high and put 50 loops of silver on these poles and then make the curtains purple. And then this part over here has to be blue. And I mean, it just goes on chapter after chapter. After chapter, after chapter, after chapter. And this is what you do. You go, ah! Like, what in the world is this all about? It is about a box. In that, the holiest of holies, there was a box called the Ark of the Covenant. This box is made of wood covered with pure gold. On the top, there's two angels facing each other, two cherubims, and their wings reach out and they touch each other. And God says, he says, now, I'm going to meet with you above the mercy seat and under those angels' wings. He said, that is where my tangible presence will be, right, right there. And that's why the high priest could only go in one time a year. And he could never go in without blood. He had to take that blood and sprinkle it seven times on that mercy seat. Now, if you were to open the lid, but you all know you don't do that, right? You saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, do not open the lid. But, but if you did open the lid, there is not the well of souls in there. What is there are two tablets, a stone. And the Bible actually says that God wrote on them with his own finger, these tablets of stone. And they are the Ten Commandments. And and I just want to to know if there's anybody here that has broken any of those Ten Commandments. (laughs) But what, what we have is we have the presence of God, the tangible presence of a holy, holy, holy God. Then we have that mercy seat that's covered with blood. And then we have all the commandments that you and I have broken. And what stands between us and a holy, holy, holy God? Blood is what stands in between us. And Romans 3.25 says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation 
a mercy seat or a sacrifice through faith in his blood. So as a Christian, we need to have faith in the blood of Jesus. Now, faith is largely dependent on knowledge. In fact, you cannot believe for what you do not know. So what we're, we're doing in this series is we are simply talking about the blood of Jesus. And let me remind you that in Leviticus 17 and verse 11, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then it says, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. And what God is saying, he's saying it is blood that can pay for the sins that you and I have committed. In Leviticus chapter 16, now I'm going to talk a bit from the, the, this chapter. And here's the reason why. This is the day of atonement, which I thought was very interesting. It was Wednesday. On the, on the Jewish calendar, Wednesday was the day of atonement. And what was supposed to happen is the high priest was supposed to go into that holy place and put the blood on the mercy seat. But when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there has not been a service or a day of atonement in which they've been able to put blood on the mercy seat since 70 AD because there's been no temple. Now, if you, you're watching very carefully what's going on in Israel, you know that right now they are, they are like almost feverish about rebuilding the temple right up on the Temple Mount. And they want to reinitiate these sacrifices. And if you go to Israel, you, you go to the Temple Institute and you can see the altar that's going to go in the temple. You can see the table of showbread, solid gold that's going in the temple, the candelabra. Again, the thing must be about this tall, just huge, solid gold. It's the one that goes in the new temple. So they're getting ready. They want to initiate this again because they know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So they're, they're looking forward to this again, doing it again. So all of that stuff in the Old Testament was really about that one box, that Ark of the Covenant, where the blood would be put. And that's where God said, my presence will be. That's where I'm going to meet with you. In Leviticus 16, verse 3. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. The day of atonement. The priest could go in, but not without blood. In fact, on the bottom of his priestly garment that he would wear, there were 50 pomegranates. And the Bible says there's 50 bells. And when he'd walk, you could hear those bells ringing. Now, if he did anything wrong or went in without blood, he dropped dead. And so there were no volunteers to go get him. So they, the tradition says they tied a rope around his leg. So if he dropped dead, they'd just haul him out. Now, they could hear because as long as he's moving, the bells are ringing. Right? That was their sign. Now, by the way, the pomegranates represent the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the bells, they represent the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and don't have love, I've become as a sounding brass or bell and a clanging cymbal. 
So the, the, the pomegranates are the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you know we need the fruit? But we also need the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, it says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, follow love and desire spiritual gifts. Some people say, well, we, we, should we just go after the fruit of the Spirit? Should we just seek God's face or should we seek his hand? His face representing the, the, the fruit, his hand representing the power or the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I think it's really clear. We need to have an equal amount of fruit and gifts. We need to have both of them in our life. We need to seek his face, but we also need to seek his hand. In Hebrews 9 and verse 7, but into the second part, the high priest went only once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first temple was still standing. In other words, they had to go back year after year after year after year because the blood of a bull or a goat could not take away sin. But what Jesus did was different. The Bible says that he offered his blood once for all time, for all sin. Now, Leviticus 16 again says that he would take two goats. And on one of those goats, he would just kill. It says he would take the blood of the bowl and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side before the mercy seat. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times and he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people and bring the blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times. So one goat is killed and his blood is put on the mercy seat. But there is a second goat, which is referred to as the scapegoat. And the reason for this is because Jesus did some things in between the cross and the throne. And it couldn't be represented by one goat because that goat was killed. But when Jesus died, he did still do some things before he was seated at the right hand of God. And part of what that second goat, the scapegoat, does is he represents for us what happened after Jesus died on the cross. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Now, when you sinned in the Old Testament, you would personally bring a goat and they would inspect that goat. You laid your hands on it right? and you were transferring your iniquity to the goat. But the priest would examine the goat, and if your sacrifice was acceptable, if it was without blemish, then you were accepted. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. It says that God received Abel and his offering, but he did not receive Cain and his offering. If your offering is accepted, then you are accepted. And aren't you glad that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us? A lamb without spot and without blemish. So he puts his hands on that goat. He confesses the sins and sends it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So he's confessing their sins on that goat. Now, 
Colossians chapter 2 says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Now, when the Bible talks about the handwriting of requirements and laws that was against you, it's talking about what God wrote on Mount Sinai. Now, the Bible says, I'm going to read it again. He wiped out those requirements that were against us, that were contrary to us. And he's taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So if you had been there at Calvary, you'd have seen Jesus cross there in the middle. And on the top was a piece of some sort of parchment and was written in three languages, Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, as far as the Romans were concerned, that's why they were crucifying Jesus, because he said he was the king of the Jews and there's no king but Caesar. But if you could have seen into the spiritual realm, the Bible says that God nailed something to Jesus' cross. And it was the list of all the sins and all the perversity and all the requirements that you and I have not fulfilled. It was nailed to Jesus' cross. The sin of anger and pride and envy and greed and lust and wrath and rape and murder and malice and idolatry of, of uh, abortion, of witchcraft. You name it. You name the sin. And it, there's this huge list that God nails to Jesus' cross and says, that is the reason that he is dying and he is paying the price for all of eternity for every person who ever commits any one of these sins. That's what was in the spirit realm. Now, those sins are the devil's leverage against you. So this is what it goes on saying. Having disarmed principalities and powers, Satan and demons, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. In the cross. He took Satan's weapon to defeat you, to make you his servant, and he took it to the cross, and he paid that price. So they take that second goat, and they send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Now, they had to do that because something happened between the cross and the throne. Now, I want to ask you a question. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did, and we, we recited the Apostles' Creed. Every week. How many of you, you did that? Lots of us. Okay. A great creed. And, and, and uh, basic, the, the form that we have today of the Apostles' Creed, that is the basic form that we had by the year 110. It goes all the way back. Now, the 12 original apostles did not write it. But it is very likely they had input. Now, how many remember in the Apostles' Creed, it says he descended into, he descended into hell. Quite literally, Hades. Now, Hades is not hell, but it's kind of like hell. Now, if you're arrested for a crime, you go to jail, right? Then you go before the judge, and then they send you to prison. How I many know prison is like the jail, but it's not the jail? It's even worse. And that's, what, that's literally what Hades is like. Hades is a place of holding. They're going to stand before the judge. How I many know there is a judgment day? And then... After that, 
There is an eternal separation from God that we refer to as hell. But he descended into hell. Acts 2 verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed him from the pangs, or some translations say the torments of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So Jesus went to the place of torment. If you look in Luke chapter 16, Jesus explains when somebody dies, there's two places. There's a place that in the Bible is referred to as paradise or a place next to Abraham or Abraham's bosom. It's a place of comfort. And there's another place, this place Hades, and it's a place of torment. Well, Jesus, for some period of time, apparently went to the place of torment because he had to be loosed from the torments of death. It's in those places where the unrighteous were. And it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So Jesus went and proclaimed, it says here in our King James, it says preach, it's actually proclaimed to the spirits who were disobedient during the days of Noah. Now the Bible tells us that God spoke to Noah to build an ark when he's 500 years old. And he goes into the ark when he's 600 years old. So to build the ark and to get everything that he needed inside took 100 years. And the Bible says during that time, he was a preacher of righteousness. That he was preaching. I guess he had a hammer in one hand, you know, and he's preaching with the other. He's telling them to repent. He's saying judgment's going to come. But God has promised he's going to send the seed of the woman. And she's, this, this seed of the woman is going to come. He's going to crush the devil's head. Well, Jesus went to those spirits who were formerly disobedient during the days when Noah was preparing the ark. And he said to them, he said, you heard the seed of the woman was going to come. You heard that he was going to crush the devil's head. You heard that he was going to pay for sin. And that mankind was going to be redeemed. I'm here to tell you it's happened. And exactly how it happened, I don't know, but this is what Revelation 1.18 says. Jesus said, I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. At some point, it appears that Jesus went over, found the devil, knocked him to the ground, put his foot on his head, and reached down and took the keys of death and of Hades and said, I'm alive, I'm victorious, I'm the Redeemer, I've come. And what God said was going to happen, it has happened. Now it says in Revelation 1 that he who loved us and washed us in his own blood from our sins has made us to be kings and priests to God his Father. You know, I mentioned it before, but one of the amazing things that Jesus did, he took and made every single believer a priest to God. Every one of us are supposed to be involved in the kingdom of God. Now, again, we're back. Leviticus, we've got the day of atonement. And it says this in the 25th chapter. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. That's the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement was Wednesday, by the way. 
On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. Now, that day on the year of Jubilee was actually referred to as the acceptable year of the Lord. And when the trumpet would sound, the priest would go in, put the blood on the mercy seat. And when the trumpet would sound in the Old Testament, this is what happened. Every debt that you had was forgiven. Whatever you owed the bank, credit cards, anybody you knew, every debt was instantly forgiven the moment you heard the sound. Any land that you had sold was returned to you, and it was yours again. Every person who was a slave, they were emancipated the moment they heard the sound of the trumpet. It wasn't enough that it was the year. It had to be the day that the priest went into the Holy of Holies, not without blood, and put him on the mercy seat. And when he came out, they heard those bells as he came out. They would sound that trumpet, and instantly there was emancipation, deaths were forgiven, things you had sold returned to you. And it was really an awesome, awesome thing. Now, here's the crazy deal. It's not recorded that they did it even once. Now, maybe they did, but it is not recorded in the Bible that they did what God said even one time, setting people free, their slaves free, returning uh, sold property and canceling every debt. Now, Luke chapter 4 in verse 16 brings us to the New Testament and to Jesus. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, the acceptable year of the Lord, when that trumpet sounded, that was the day that every debt was forgiven, every slave was set free, everything that you'd lost came back. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying what he came to do was to bring the true jubilee. In the Old Testament, they just had lambs. They were types. They were shadows. But Jesus is saying everything that was in the Old Testament, those types and shadows, they're going to be fulfilled. He's saying, I'm anointed. I'm anointed to preach to the poor, to bring healing to brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. He's saying, because of what I'm doing, he's saying every bondage is broken. Every addiction can be set, every addict can be set free from drugs or alcohol or pornography. Those that are depressed are going to be full of joy. Those that have grief are going to be, be, be set free. The guilt, the anxiety, the dread is going to be gone. And there's going to be healing. There's going to be peace. There's going to be right standing with God. There's going to be favor. He's saying, that's what I have come to do, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's for us today. Now, if you ever went to church with Moses, now the Bible tells us about going to church with Moses, and this is important. All right? It says that when you went to church with Moses, that Moses took blood. Right? 
You remember, not much happens in the Bible without blood. And literally, the highest form of worship always has to do with faith in blood. You know, we might think that it's clapping or shouting or something, but biblically, the highest form of worship always has to do with blood. So if you went to church with Moses, the Bible says, first of all, Moses took blood and he sprinkled all of the vessels of the temple. So that candelabra, he's got blood on it. The altar, he puts blood on it. The incense burning, he puts blood on it. He puts blood on everything. Now, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, this this may shock you. It says that the things in heaven had to be purified as well, but not with the blood of bulls and goats but with Jesus' blood. So what that means is this, that man's sin literally not only affected earth, it affected heaven because the things in heaven had to be purified. So Moses takes blood, and the first thing he does is he puts blood on everything inside the tabernacle. And then it says that Moses took blood, and he sprinkled all of the people. So if you're down here, you got blood. But if you're on the balcony, you got blood. So you never wore white to church because you know if I go to church with Moses, I'm going to get blood all over everything. And then it says that Moses took blood. He took blood and he sprinkled the book. Now, literally, it's the part of the Bible that they had. And he takes that and he sprinkles it with blood. When Moses went to church, literally, there is blood everywhere because it was the highest form of worship. Even in the book of Revelation, we find that what happens is we're singing in eternity and we're singing about blood. Now, all of that to get to this place, Acts 20 and verse 28. It says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which he has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, which he purchased with his own blood. The power of blood is in the worth of the life. Now, what Jesus had was not just human blood. The Bible says that he had God's blood. That's why goats and calves couldn't pay for your sin. That's why a friend couldn't pay for your sin. That's why you couldn't even pay for your own sin. Because the worth or the power in the blood is in the worth of the life. And the Bible says that Jesus paid for your sin with God's own blood. In Jesus' blood was the power of the divine life dwelling and working. And that's why it releases amazing, almighty, unceasing power. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What Jesus did with his blood, no man could do. 
he obtained an eternal and everlasting redemption, an everlasting covenant. And it doesn't just need to happen again every year. It happened once for all. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He's on his knees and he's praying. And this is what he says. He says, God, Father, if there is another way for a man to be redeemed, do that. I really don't want to do this. If there's another way, do it the other way. But not my will, your will be done. You see, what Jesus said was this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm a way to get to God. He didn't say, I'm a truth. He didn't say, I'm one of many, many options. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Why? Because his blood was God's blood. And the power of the blood is in the worth of the life. I know that that is very unpopular. Today, everybody says you need to be inclusive. But I just want you to know that the Bible is not inclusive. It is exclusive. It says there's just one way. And Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. And what he did with his blood, the blood of God, he purchased an eternal redemption. And the Bible says he took that blood and he went into heaven with his blood and he put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And the book of Hebrews said that the blood of sprinkling, Jesus' blood, is speaking right now on your behalf. And it's saying better things than the blood of Abel. Cain killed Abel and his blood said, give me vengeance. But Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat. And it says, Father, forgive them, deliver them, bless them, give them peace. Let eternal redemption flow to them. Jesus' blood is speaking for you, speaking for me right now. The thing that each person needs to do is we each need to receive. We each need to receive what God has done for us in Christ. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.